Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. When we aren't afraid of death, we are less afraid of life. From these episodes, my aim is for all of us to take more risks in life, go after our dreams, have great relationships, and maybe even some joy in the process. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international bestseller, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Today on our show, we have Virginia Hummel. And Virginia is a spiritual grief coach, dynamic speaker, and creator of Bereavement Healing for the Enlightened Soul. She's co-producer of a new documentary on healing through spiritually transformative experiences based on her upcoming book, Cracking the Grief Code. Virginia is a lifelong student of the metaphysical, spiritual, and after-death subjects. Her interest in the world of the unseen was sparked at an early age by her own out-of-body experiences and communication with the other side. With the death of her youngest son, Christopher, Virginia experienced a series of spontaneous spiritual events which helped her shift her perception of death reclaim her life, and rejoice in her newfound connection to spirit. Virginia's deepest hope is to help guide others on a spiritual path of bereavement healing from grief, divorce, and other challenging life events to find a place of balance and joy. In her upcoming book, Cracking the Grief Code, Healing Through Spiritual Experiences, Virginia offers a compelling insight into the afterlife and the opportunity to heal yourself from grief. Her first book, Miracle Messenger, Signs from Above, Signs from Above Love from Beyond, is filled with after-death communication that eight different people experienced with, the, with her son after his death. And there are so many other things I could tell you about Virginia, but I'm really anxious to get to talking with her and introduce her to you. So Virginia Hummel, welcome to We Don't Die. Thank you, Sandra. Oh, I'm so excited to be here and talk with you today. Even reading your bio, I just had a huge smile on my face because it's like, I want to know, I want to know, I want to know. And, you know, it's funny because um, most of my guests so far are people that I haven't met yet. And so I got to do a little investigating on your your website, and I clicked on it, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's beautiful. <laughs> oh, you're too kind. You really too. are. Yeah, and your website is theorbwhisperer.com, which you'll have to tell us more about. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are. You're gorgeous. You're gorgeous. Oh, yeah, I thought, so yeah. Much. What a delight. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you and how you got into this whole world. Well, yeah. <laughs> good Lord. Um, well, how, were you always someone interested in it? I mean, it's... You know, I came into this world, um, and I can remember a specific event. I was about eight years old, eight or nine maybe, and I can remember standing on my parents' driveway one summer afternoon, and I wondered to myself, how did I get to be me? How did I get in this body? And I pinched my arm, and I said, yep, I'm here all right, but how did I get to be me? Why didn't I come back as my brother or my mother or my dog? And then I looked up at the sky, and I I knew I had been given a set of instructions, and I did not know what they were. 
Um, I knew I was from somewhere else, yet here in this body, and I just couldn't quite figure out all the dynamics. And I certainly couldn't talk to my parents about this or my family. This was just something that nobody discussed. My, my parents were Christian scientists. Um, but I didn't have any of the metaphysical or spiritual background or training. All I knew was that we go to heaven after we die. Well, as I grew as a child, I began to uh, experience spirit in different ways. I began to manifest things instantly. Um, I, I was having experiences that I couldn't quite explain, but... I realized that there was something greater than myself and what we could see. There was something of a spiritual nature going on. Let me just cut in just for a second. Mm -hmm. Number one, that's really young to have such profound thoughts. And we often hear about kids that have memories or they are very wise. And that's Mm -hmm. amazing. And then when you just said you started manifesting things, what do you mean Mm -hmm. by that? Can you give us an example? Um... Well, I can I can remember uh, I used to show horses, uh-huh. and I w- was driving to a horse show one time. I was in my early twenties, and as I was driving to the horse show, suddenly I saw my dashboard filled with specific ribbons from the horse show and uh, the brochures, and it was just a configuration. It was there and it was gone. And later that afternoon, driving back home. My focused on my dashboard, and it was exactly what I had seen earlier in that day. Um, manifesting, I would think of something, and it would be uh, more. It would be a thought, and a picture, and a feeling all in one. And it was there was no judgment with it. It was just, it just was, and suddenly that would manifest, whether it was, it was a specific person that would come into my life, whether it was an object, that something that I'd wanted, um, you know, a new outfit or, or um, gosh, I can't even. Well, that's okay. Different. You're just giving you know us. You know where a, I'm going with this? Uh, yeah, you're giving but us a little taste yes, of yes. You, you got the very clear message that there's something bigger. Mm-hmm. Something bigger. Okay. Absolutely. So you can continue now. Sorry to interrupt. Well, no, 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 no. Um, so with that information, as I move forward, gosh, I, you know, we have all the regular life events, the, the marriages and the kids and all sorts of things. But all along, I, I knew that there was something of a spiritual nature happening around me. Mm-hmm. And I put up my spiritual radar, and which is what I encourage a lot of people do, is just to begin to pay attention. A lot of us are so busy with our lives and raising kids and working that we shut everything out. There's too much noise. There's TV and there's radio and there's drama in our lives. But if we can take a moment to just say, I'm I'm just going to be aware of things around me, you you may begin to notice, like I did, synchronistic events, people coming into your life, um, opportunities for you that are not just coincidental. They lead you on a specific path, a trail, and they, they move you forward. I found that happened quite a lot. And I also found that if I was going in the wrong direction, I would be blocked. So by tuning into my intuition and putting up my spiritual radar and, and being aware, I was more easily led in 
directions that benefited me, thus benefiting other people. That's great. Um, and then my children, I had two children, I have four children, my younger son, two older boys and two younger girls, and my younger son was killed in an accident in 2006. Wow. But he and his sister were very psychic. They could see people on the other side. They were very, very close, and they had truly had dreams of changing the world. But it was through my daughter's experiences with spirit when she would come to me and say, Mommy, my light's going on and off in my room. I'm hearing someone whisper my name. All of these different events forced me as a, as a parent to address these with her in a very non-threatening, open type of way, open and supportive way, which was something I didn't get as a child. So in doing that, I was able to talk with my son about life after death, and thus when he uh, transitioned, along with my my grief, I was able to uh, tell myself if there truly is something more then my son will help me figure that out. And that is what has led me today to you, following wow. that path. Wow. What, what are some of those signs or messages that you got from your son? And first of all, I'm sorry about the death of your son. Even as much as we believe we don't die, I know, and you know as well, the grieving is very real. And um, so my condolences to you. And bravo to you for taking all of it and now making a difference with so many lives. Oh, thank you, Sandra. Um, well, the interesting thing about my experience with the death of my son, um, I have four children, and Chris was the only child that I felt that the day he was born and I held him, I knew he would cross before I did. Hmm. And it was an unerring certainty, and it terrified me. Sure. And I thought, where did that thought come from? My, my goodness, who thinks those things? But it stuck with me, and... In metaphysics, we learn that what we focus on, we attract, so surely I did not want to focus on that, but the voice continued to whisper to me throughout his life. As a teenager, he came to me and told me he knew when and how he would die. Really? And I had never said anything to anybody what I felt at his birth and what I felt all along, and I begged him to give me the information, and he wouldn't, until about two years later when he he finally said, well, Mom, I'm going to die at age 52. My son crossed at age 25, and it wasn't uh, until uh, maybe six months after his death that I remembered that conversation, and I saw those numbers reverse themselves mm. from 52 to 25. And I knew he purposely did not tell me it was 25 because he didn't want me to worry. Of course not. But one of the things that is, I find so fascinating that realizing that both my son and I knew of his impending death, after his death, I was compelled to look for a larger meaning, to really dig deeper into the supposition that we are eternal beings. And that was the only explanation that made sense to me. Was my knowing actually a memory from a spiritual contract that I had made with my son before we incarnated into these bodies? And if that was the case, why had we chosen to participate in his early death? What were the lessons to be learned? What has his life and early passing taught me? And how could I honor my son and our journey if not to embrace those lessons, 
remain in a state of grace and be open to his contact as well as other experiences that were now available to me. And just looking at your website and everything that you're up to, I mean, I we're going to get into it, but I'm pretty clear that mm-hmm. it put you on an amazing path to make a difference. But I just wanted to ask you, have you received any communications or anything from your son after he transitioned? Uh, absolutely. There, there's just so many. I, I completed my first book, Miracle Messenger, because he had contacted eight different people within five years of his crossing, and one person who had never met him he came to. And it's just really fascinating. I think a lot of people don't know of these opportunities and possibilities to connect with our loved ones. And what a way to comfort ourselves knowing that we can go on and feel their presence and sense their presence and see them in dreams and communicate and they can send us signs. It was truly the only thing that that saved me, that lifted me up from that place of deep, deep sadness and grief uh, to joy. In the midst of my my grief, when you lose a child, it's um, it's really inexplain, unexplainable. I I'm going to say unless you've experienced, it's very difficult to to describe the feeling to someone else, and it is it's devastating and it is truly life altering. Sure. But in the midst of that deep grief, I was filled with joy because I was aware there was something more. And every time I looked towards God and Spirit and my son for a connection, for a sign to tell me that there was something more, I received one. What well, can and you give us some examples of those? Because specific I, examples, yeah, yeah of what, like what some of these eight people experienced or some of the messages you've got. Because I think there's a lot of hope that our our loved ones mm-hmm. can give us messages, but it might help to just hear what kind of messages have been experienced. Well, they can come through the cell phone. Um, what do you mean by that? What do I mean by that? Yeah. Well, I had my son's cell phone uh, the after he died, and the phone would ring, and I would pick it up, and I'd hear some crackling, and and I'd say, hello, hello, and there was no voice back, but I could sense there was someone there. And i go, well, that's really weird. And I would hang up and redial the number that dialed me, and mm-hmm. it said, I'm sorry, this number is no longer in service. And oh. I said, aha, something is happening. Chris is trying to come through. Well, he did the same thing with his uh, lifelong friend, Mandy Patterson. He, The weekend he died, she did not know he had crossed over yet. Uh, she was receiving phone calls from an all-zero phone number, and she would pick up, and she would. it would sound like someone was there, but it was very far away. And she began to think that someone was stalking her. The phone calls came through all weekend long. And so Monday morning, she picked up the phone and called Verizon and said, you know, somebody is stalking me. I'm getting these phone calls. I don't know who they're from. And they said, gosh, I'm sorry. There's no record of these phone calls, and there is no all-zero phone number. (gasps) Oh, you gave me the goosebumps, Virginia. And, you know, that zero, that circle, to me, that's the circle of life. That's mm-hmm. the, it's, it's past infinity. It's just, it's just, you know, it's there. It's that sphere. It's the orbs that I've discovered during my, my grief journey. Another, let me give you a, a few more. Um, Thank you for this. You're very, very welcome, Sandra. My pleasure. Um, spirit connects with us in so many different ways. 
they um, come through, certainly through uh, electrical phenomenon. The lights can blink. They can work through our computers, radio. Uh, many people have will will get a, a thought about their loved one, and then their favorite song comes on the radio. That's a really wonderful way for spirit to connect and let them know that they're with us. Mm-hmm. And that would happen to me in my car. I would be driving along. Suddenly my head was filled with thoughts of my son, and James Blunt's You're Beautiful oh, would start nice playing song. on the radio. And I could feel my car fill up with my son's presence, and I was always compelled to lay my right arm across the armrest with my palm up because I knew my son was holding my hand. Um, I do that with my grandmother, too, Virginia. She died just one week short of her 91st birthday. And there are moments that I'm driving, and Mm -hmm. I feel Grammy right next to me, and I just Mm -hmm. reach over, and I can still feel her skin. And she had long fingernails, always polished, Mm -hmm. and I could feel those. Oh, Oh, that's wonderful. Wonderful. You know, they come... They can come through animals. They can come through after death, the after-death communication when we sleep. You know, generally between 2 and 5 o'clock in the morning is when our psychological and physical defenses are at their lowest. And our ability as spirit, uh, um, as a spiritual being, is able to, to reconnect with that divine place that we come from. And so that's, that's the time that we s- receive a lot of after-death communication, dreams, or visions. We might wake up and see someone standing at the foot of our bed. Yes, that happens a lot. I hear those mm-hmm. stories. Mm-hmm. My favorite, absolute favorite, my son appears as a hummingbird. Now, I can't honestly say if his little soul is inside the hummingbird, but I know he's very much connected with it. And for me and many of my family members and friends now, a hummingbird has become a sign of a connection to spirit. And uh, about a month after my son had crossed, I was in the garage unpacking some of his things, and I was halfway in the garage, and I was crying. It was very painful looking at his baby clothes and mm-hmm. such. And a little hummingbird flew into the garage and hovered three feet in front of my face, just staring at me. And it was such, he was so large. Uh, you know, they're so tiny, but his presence was so large. It, it, it forced me to stop what I was doing and really take a look at him. And suddenly I found myself in gratitude of this beautiful little creature. And instantly I felt the energy in the garage change. I could feel the molecules in the air and, and inside of me there was, a, there was a vibrational change. And suddenly I could feel Chris everywhere around me. Wow. And it was a moment that shifted me from sadness and despair to hope. Well, Virginia, it's amazing to me when a butterfly comes close. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But to have a hummingbird, which are rare to see anyways, come into your garage and three feet from your face, that's pretty extraordinary. Well, I, I thought so. I thought it was really cool. And, and the beautiful thing about it, Sandra, was that it helped me to shift my energy from that sadness and despair, which is a very slow, low vibration, to a much higher vibration. The moment I felt gratitude and saw the beauty in this little creature, my energy shifted. It was raised. 
And once you begin to learn to raise your vibration and your energy level, we are more readily available to connect with spirit. And that's what I'm trying to get across to people, to anybody that's willing to listen and to be open to this. Everything is vibration. And spirit resonates on such a high, high level. And here on the earth plane, we're, we're much denser. But in, during grief, we're shrouded with these, this, this awfully deep, cutting, penetrating pain and sadness and despair, which pulls us further, the furthest away from spirit, from unconditional love, from the feeling of gratitude and joy. And so when we're courageous enough to just take a peek, to open ourselves up to spirit, to put up our spiritual radar and reach out to try to touch that, we soon begin to lift ourselves and touch spirit and interact with spirit, which again lifts us from that grief because it helps us to raise our vibration I have a great and our energy level. I have a great story for you, Virginia. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Well, hear. one of my readers of my book uh, mm-hmm. emailed me and she was a uh, gosh I think she was about 16 year old and her younger brother had died of an accident with a BB gun oh my gosh and she held herself very very responsible and she herself was gonna kill herself mm-hmm. so I'm grateful she turned to me and mm-hmm. you know I was worried mm-hmm. what do I say what do I say what she really wanted was a sign from her brother mm-hmm. and so she stayed in communication with me and I, you know, I set her up with a little bit of help um, where she was. But mm-hmm. I said, and this was just intuitively, I said, the more dark and in despair you feel, the harder it is vibrationally for your brother to get through. Well, mm-hmm. that was enough to intrigue her. Well, what do you mean? I said, well, you have to, and I said, grief is normal and it hurts really bad, but you have to do some things to raise your vibration so he can connect. Now she's really intrigued. So I, I said, you know, play music, go outside, um, think about what you're grateful for. Um, and I, I really kept giving, giving, giving any tools that I had just to kind of mm-hmm. raise her. Well, she sends me the best email. She says that he used to like this song by this punk rock band and she says it's very rarely played and even when it is it's the the radio version and not the instrumental version I guess whatever Mm -hmm. and she said I hear on the radio when I'm down that that instrumental version that's very rarely played will come on the radio just when I need to hear it so she's like he's coming through because like they never play that song and she went from despair to now belief and so I think what you say about raising our vibration and feeling better like there is something to that you need to have that higher level Mm -hmm. of vibration so sometimes we might be really frustrated that you know, so-and-so died and they're not coming through, but it takes something from our side to help raise our energy level so that makes it easier for them. And, you know, just um, you mentioned music, and music is a great way. You know, sometimes when I really need to get something done and I, I may be feeling sad or frustrated and I know I need a shift, I turn on Ain't No Mountain High Enough, and it's just those in those few first notes my whole energy begins to shift, and I just want to get up and sing it as loud as I can. <laughs> and so, you know, we, I think we all have a favorite uplifting song, and that is, for me, the easiest way 
to help shift that vibration. Great. I'm glad you mentioned that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what? It's funny. I have a lot to do today, even when we're done with this interview. And I thought, how am I going to get through? Music. That's how I'm going to mm-hmm. get through Music it. Music does it. So for, you know, oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I'd love to share one more story yes. about the love hummingbird. Um, the hummingbird became a, a wonderful sign and he came quite often to me and, and other family members. And I had moved houses about two years after that garage incident. And there had been quite a few other little hummingbird incidents. And I was in the new house, and the, the uh, movers hadn't come yet. And I was in the master bedroom just unpacking a few boxes and things I brought. And I wondered to myself, gee, I wonder if Chris knows I moved. And then I, like, kind of bonked my head like a V8 thing. Like, and said, well, geez, of course he does, right? <laughs> right. Well, instantly I heard this little, and I'm like, what is that noise? And I went to investigate, and I had left the sliding door to the living room open about a foot. And in the living room, a little hummingbird had flown and was trying to escape through one of the three big picture windows. Wow. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Well, that's a coincidence. I think of my son, and within seconds, I'm there's a hummingbird in my house. So I, I didn't have anything to get him out with, a broom or a net or anything. I'm wondering how I'm going to do it. And suddenly, I am compelled to walk towards this little hummingbird where he's trying to get out the window. And I stop about 10 feet away. I didn't want to scare him, and I was just really enjoying his his company and his presence. And once again, I was compelled. It was, it was as if spirit whispered to me. I closed my hand, my eyes, and I raised my hand with my palm flat up into the air over my head as far as it could go. And suddenly that little hummingbird lighted on my fingertips. <sighs> and I couldn't believe it. And I lowered my hand, and he had one fingertip, uh, one, one little foot on my index finger, and one on the fingertip of my middle finger. And I just I just was in awe of this little creature, you know, God's little miracle. And he had this iridescent, beautiful iridescent green coat and his little beak. And his little claws were about the diameter of a daddy long legs leg. And wow. I just was marveling in this, Sandra, when suddenly the energy in the room shifted. And I could feel that tingling sensation that filled me like champagne bubbles. And suddenly my son was everywhere. He was in the lights, dreaming through the window. He was inside me. He was around me. He was under my feet. And I just said, oh, my gosh, Chris, you're here. I could just, it was so beautiful. And then a moment later it was gone, and I just stood there in gratitude with this little hummingbird still on my hand, for goodness sakes. And then I thought, gosh, I've I've got to figure out how to get him outside. I wonder if he's going to stay on my hand. And so I slipped across the room about 20 feet to the door, and I slipped out the foot door that I'd I'd opened just a crack and got to the patio, and my goodness, he still was on my fingertips. And I said, you know, I am so grateful you're here. Thank you for coming. And he continued to sit there and look around as if he were whistling, like (laughs) waiting for me to get it. I didn't know what I was supposed to get, but I looked at him. I said, you know, I'll be okay. You can go. And he looked me in the eye. He nodded his head, and he flew off. Oh, now, my gosh. Sandra, that was, I'm like, did that just really happen? Well, I was so fortunate to be able to have two daughters, my young, my young daughters, um, that just love these types of things. They dearly missed their brother, sure. and they knew that this was a sign. And, 
and they were very supportive. But the rest of my family, you know, pretty much would roll their eyes and go, you know, that's a bird. Yeah. (laughs) But it, it, I don't know. For me, I mean, I haven't seen a hummingbird in years. And Mm. to have both the garage and even coming into the house and staying on your hand when you walked outside. Wow. Like, I would have been floored if it had been, like I said, a butterfly doing that. Well, and they do. And the dragonflies and, you know, people see feathers and pennies and all sorts of little signs. And they're just, that's just spirit saying, we're here. We're right here with you. There is no separation. And that's the things that I hope that people will look for. You know, even even in the midst of their deepest grief, it's important that we grieve, and you know that, Sandra. We, I wailed with the best of them, laid on the floor, curled in a ball, and wailed. Of course. But then I said, okay, I let that, that move through me, that energy, and then I got up and said, but you know, that didn't feel all that great. I want to feel good. I think I, think I can grieve feeling better than that, mm-hmm. and I would bounce back and forth. But I always got up and looked towards spirit and said, you know, I really need another sign. Do something here, Chris. And he would come on my computer. I felt him one of the things that happened about a week or so after he first crossed over. Um, I was paying bills one night, and my screensaver was flashing random photos out of about 4,000 photos. And suddenly this photo of Chris came on and stuck on the screen, and I looked up a couple times, and I finally sat back in my chair, and Again, the energy in the room shifted, and I want to um, make sure the listeners are aware that that is something that happens quite a bit, and if they can tune into that, that awareness, there's a vibrational shift, just to be aware that that's possible, that they may too begin to have these types of experiences, and no one's spirit moves into the room. But I could feel that my son was there, and yet I couldn't see him. And suddenly, from behind, I felt as if someone wrapped a warm blanket around my shoulders. And then I felt, through the top, my crown chakra at the very top of my head, something akin to warm syrup as it just spiraled through my body. And I felt peace and comfort and love. It was, it was truly wonderful, and I know my son had wrapped his arms around me and kissed the top of my head. It was unmistakable, unforgettable. I will never forget that. Oh, so believing in life after death impacts mm-hmm. grief? Mm-hmm, absolutely. It, it helps us on our healing journey. You know, one of the things that is so difficult when we lose someone, our, our generally our perception of death is finality. And mm. with that Fear of death also comes the fear of separation. As a parent who's lost a child, I, you know, my son's gone, you know, and and I'm a mother. Where is he? Is he okay? Is someone taking care of him? I I didn't do my, my motherly duty and protect my child. And then I think down the road, my gosh, you know, he'll never be married. He'll never go through these milestones. Well, what I've discovered on my journey is that through the premonitions that I had of his early departure and through his premonitions, it encouraged me to reach out and begin to read and research. And I discovered other parents 
who had also had premonitions of their child's early passing, along with the child knowing this. And when we begin to to look at this information, information that comes back from near-death experiencers about the other side, we read about children's past lives. If a child has a past life and they give us very detailed information that can be proven, we know something is truly happened. If it happening, if they've had a past life, that means that all probability they're going to have a future life. And so when I began to take all this information in, I realized that it was able to help me shift my perception of death until I was no longer fearful of death. And when I release the fear of death, I also release that fear of separation. When we have pre-birth contracts, these, our loved ones have chosen to go at that moment. We've chosen these life experiences. So truly, our perception of these missed milestones is just that. It's a perception of something that truly wasn't supposed to be. So... It's a big thing to wrap our, our minds around all this information, and I, I really go into in-depth into my book, Cracking the Grief Code, and how I was able to walk this journey and discover these other people. Um, have you heard of, uh, well, actually, you just recently interviewed Dr. Mary Neal. Yes, I did. And she's written to heaven and back. Mm-hmm. Her little boy at age four or five years old, she remembers a conversation when she said to him, you know, Willie, when you're 18... And Willie stopped her and said, Mom, I'm not going to be 18. Don't you remember that was the plan? Now, so many parents have had similar experiences to Mary Neal and myself. Scarlett Lewis, uh, a mother whose child died at the Sandy Hook Elementary School in the shootings, she knew at her son's birth that she wouldn't have him for very long. And uh, about a week before his death at Sandy Hook, he had asked his dad, how would he recognize his grandmother in heaven? And his dad was like, what are you talking about? You're not going to die. He goes, no, but I need to know, how am I going to recognize grandmother when when I die? And oh, then my goodness. the parents were supposed to meet, I believe, the afternoon in the classroom. It was just before Christmas for, I think, a holiday project. And the little boy was very melancholy, and he kept telling his parents, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And then the day his dad took him to school and dropped him off, Jesse placed his hands on his father's shoulders and said, Dad, I want you to know it's all going to be okay and that I love you and Mom. And he turned around and walked off. And a few hours later, you know, he was he was killed um, in that shooting. But something else happened. A week after... Scarlett received a box of Jesse's papers from school, and in that box was a drawing that Jesse had made, a precognitive drawing of a little boy with angel wings standing across from a menacing figure who had had his face scratched out, blacked out with a black crown. Jesse knew something was happening. Jesse knew he was transitioning. His mother knew this from his birth. She didn't know when. But, you know, Scarlett has embraced life after death, and she's very aware of the flickering lights. And Jesse came to quite a few people just after he crossed over. So when we begin to take all of these things, Sandra, and you know them, you've experienced quite a few of them. 
when we put them all together and we really can see the bigger picture that there is no separation it's just a different state of existence we can connect with that that's what's most important it will help us shift our perception of death and thus shift our perception of our of the way we see grief and our ability to heal. And that's what I want to ask you because out of all of this, out of your experiences, out of your belief that Chris is still around, um, obviously um, you've made, you're doing some really tremendous things. And why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're up to? And it's so obvious that Chris probably the contract you probably had with Chris was so that you could go on to do what you're doing and because you're doing some really profound things to helping people through grief and it's not just the loss of a loved one it can be uh, uh, loss of a relationship and why don't you mm-hmm. explain really how your life has changed uh, after his death and knowing that we don't die well I realized that you know we shouldn't let the death of our child define or limit us. It should, let, it should inspire us to go on and do great things. And I did not want my son's death to be for naught. And so I looked for the lesson and the gift. And, you know, it would have been easy to, to blame a lot of things, oh, point yeah. my finger. But that didn't serve me or anyone. I knew there was a lesson. I knew there was something bigger than me, and it was my job to look for it. And it did. It, it has sent me, his death has been the gift of my spiritual awakening, and it has sent me on the greatest adventure of my lifetime. Now, I still miss the hell out of my son. Oh, I'm sure, going to say sure. that. Yeah. I do. But I embrace life. I, I am joyful. I, you know, I have highs and lows. I sit at you know, Thanksgiving. There's an empty chair. I miss my son. Of course. But there's so many really wonderful things we can be inspired to do when we have a spiritual awakening. And it's really through my son that I realized that being of service not only helped other people, it helped me heal my grief, too. And so I have, um, I'm working on a grief documentary to really visually show people uh, these different signs, you know, after-death communication, taking in uh, precognition, pre-birth contracts, uh, stories from near-death experiencers, um, to really help give a visual experience to what it is I experienced in the hopes it can help bring comfort and hope and help other people shift their perception of death and be, really, truly begin their healing. Um, I have a good friend that I met uh, about three years ago, and... She she was really not in a good spot. She had to leave her two young sons in a foreign country. Her husband was foreign. And even our U.S. State Department and embassy could not get these children out of the country. Wow. And she tried for years to, to rescue them, and they were being abused, and it was awful. And she was just at the breaking point. And... When I began to talk to her about the bigger picture and our pre-birth contracts and these lessons and experiences that we go through, through you know the last three years of working with her, she has really been able to shift her perception of this whole of event and look at things in a different way with a new perspective that has really helped her to begin healing. 
And the most wonderful thing happened. Her oldest son, it's been uh, about eight years since she left them there, her oldest son this summer was able to make it to the U.S. Embassy in that country, and they were able to secret him out of the country, and she was reunited with one of her sons in June. Oh, that's great. It was just um, so moving for me. And how old is the son? He is uh, 17. Wow. And she left him, I think, when they were six and four, and it was it was brutal. Oh, but it had to be, had to be. To and and you know, she really experienced the loss of two children on a completely different level. One um, of you have you you've heard of Eckhart Tolle? Yes. Um, love him. Great, you know, great information. And I read his Power of Now in in I think the early nineties, and. I had gone through three divorces in the 80s. I was young in my 20s and um been busy. <laughs> that that was yeah, that was really tough because I dragged my children through them mm. and I had a lot of guilt around them, but in reading Eckhart Tolle's information about how we can step outside of the pain body and really view the drama outside and really release that uh release that we can really shift our experience and, and how we view that experience. And I was able to really do that and release the anger and the bitterness and the sadness I had around those divorces. Um, but the interesting thing was when I lost my son, I wondered if it was possible to do the same thing. And I discovered that it was. And this is what I found to be so important and the message that I would really like to begin to share with people and I've taken that message and put it in my book and, and built it in that when we combine all of these wonderfully STEs, spiritually transformative experiences. Oh, I like that. Um, that's, that's a, I did not coin that phrase, but it is really encompasses it all, the spiritually transformative experiences. And we can look for the lesson and the gift, and we can step outside of our pain body and just be a witness to what has happened in more of a neutral position, then we can truly begin to heal ourselves and move forward. Uh, and it's been a tremendous help to me. And I've written a guideline so if people are interested, they can, um, they can go ahead and read and begin to work on those exercises to really help shift their their energy and their perception and and truly truly heal from grief um i think one of the notions that we all have is that we never truly get over the loss of a child especially and and a loved one but i know some people will be upset with me saying this but i don't believe that's true because i've been able to do it and i have uh, i know quite a few other people who have been able to do that and I do also want to reiterate there's we all have choices and Henry Ford said whether you think you can or you think you can't either way is right so if you want to be have that grief part of your life there's nothing wrong with that you you're absolutely okay in doing that but for me I wanted something more I wanted to find the joy again Mm -hmm. and I know you did too and, and you have your book and your experiences and my dad always said that quote so when you just said that i just got a See, flash of my it? dad 
Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I wanted to mention when you were talking about grief just not being from death and stepping outside of the pain, um, there's a lot of grief happening, whether it's with an ex-husband or mm-hmm. might have a relationship that you're not talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. And those are times, like, I, I sometimes I think grief is e- not easier because it's never easy. But when someone's dead, okay, it's final. They're not coming back. Um there's a lot of cases even within my own family of siblings not talking to each other after a death and so mm-hmm. there these people are still alive and there's grief yet they're still around so mm-hmm. I think it's important for what you say also um, obviously we try to make amends and we try to restore relationships but it's also maybe in this, you know, I'm, I'm saying this just every bit for me as I am for anybody mm-hmm. listening, mm-hmm. but to step outside of it and also look to see what may the gift be in it, um, mm-hmm. because there may be. And I think even in my, my own family, there was a lot of pain after dad died. And um, mm-hmm. I think truthfully, Virginia, if everything was hunky dory in my family, um, I wouldn't be on such a mission to share with people the impact of grief what it does to our brains what it does to our thoughts and our communications and 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 i do think there's going to be a miracle at the end of it all um but it's it's really put me on my path because as much as i love the stories of life after death i love giving people hope that love is not dead and you'll see these people again it's also to help people um, and I think with you too live our lives now because when we understand grief um, very often people can die internally both you know you hear of people dying of a broken heart you hear of many suicides that come out of grief and just simply people dying inside and not living their life and so Mm -hmm. the ultimate gift that you're giving people and I try to as well is to get people to live now and not die internally well I think it's important that we give ourselves permission to not only grieve and mourn the loss of our loved one but also give ourselves permission to fully participate in life and our other family members. I have three other children, and it didn't serve me or them for me to remain in a state of grief and sadness and despair that my one child was gone, and that energy is transferred to my other kids. I'm missing their life, and the, the, those moments of joy and, and, and those memories that I could be making with them if I remain stuck in that spot with my son, Chris. Right. And it was really through all those spiritually transformative experiences that I could do both. I can honor my son and the the loss of my son and my grief, but I could also uh, create a joy-filled life after loss and do so without feeling guilty. And it's it's a process. Nobody's perfect. It's I don't think you can do something like this overnight. It takes a while to reach that place of balance and joy. And it's been eight and a half years for me, and I'm pretty darn good. But there are moments when my heart breaks, especially when I see someone else going, beginning this process and, and going through it, and I hear someone else's story. Because I know it's, it's challenging, my goodness. But one thing I would like to say is whatever choice you make, whatever path you're on, it, it's the right path for you everybody in in honoring 
ourselves, we must honor each and every one's individual grief journey. And I just wanted to, to, you know, I, I don't know, I'm a doer and a fixer. I wanted to make my grief journey the best one I could, and I and I think I've done a pretty good job. But, you know, I, I fall and, and I stumble, and I, and I find myself in those moments of despair. But truly, I, I will call myself a spiritual grief coach, but I'm really your cheerleader. Because I think it takes someone uh, to come alongside a person who's in grief and say, I'm here for you. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to show you that there's something more. I'll hold you while you cry, but I want you just to take a look at the possibilities of something more. That's really beautiful, and it gives so much hope. And the fact that you've been there before... um, it's really amazing. And Virginia, I'm looking at the clock and I thought, thinking, how, holy cow, how oh did time gosh, okay. go by so fast? But I'm not going to say goodbye just yet. I just want you to look <laughs> within yourself right now. Is there anything else you want to share? Is there anything else that could make a difference for someone today? Just whatever that may be, and there may not be, but I'd. You're an awesome guest, by the way. Oh, thank you. That's <laughs> <sweet of> you. <laughs> well, you are. Just the way it is. But just anything. Cause, um, and there may not be, but I also don't want you to leave without telling us what the orb whisperer is. Oh, my gosh. Okay. In a, in a fast. Oh, the, isn't that funny? It's okay. My well, girlfriend it, came up with that name. I'm looking uh, at everything you're up to and giving oh, and loving. And then I'm like, oh. they refer to her as the orb whisperer. I'm like, what in the world is that? Well, I have the VirginiaHummel.com and I have the orb whisperer.com. Okay. And 20 months after the death of my son, I got up in the middle of the night in the dark and there was this brilliant ball of light, and I looked at it, and it looked at me, and it, it shot across the room and made a sharp left and disappeared. And I'm like, holy cow, there's a burglar outside, and I raced through the house, and I checked my daughter and checked the locks, and I got back in the bed, and I'm like, what the heck was that? And I realized it couldn't have been a burglar because I started on a wall. There were blackout curtains, and I will tell you, that little ball of light has set me down a path and a, and a journey and an adventure of a lifetime. Um, I began taking photographs of these brilliant balls of light, and they were coming into my house. I could call them, and they would come. They would fill me with joy. Millions of people around the world are getting these brilliant balls of light in their digital photographs. Yes. And we have faces inside them. And what I have come to discover through my research and experience is that many of these balls of light are a visual manifestation of our soul or consciousness energy. So for those of you who, who you know, maybe feel your, your, your loved one or can't, or can't feel them and want to know if there's something more, pick up your digital camera and start taking flash photos and ask for your loved one to be there, and they will show up in the photos. I've got just such the most amazing stories, and I would, actually would love to come back, Sandra, another time, and talk specifically about that, but those can people can visit my um, website, theorbwhisper.com. But I also have my my new book, Cracking the Grief Code, is filled with orb photos and really incorporates orbs as a tool, along with all of the other spiritually transformative experiences, to help shift our perception of death, thus help us heal on a grief journey. That's so cool because I think of. Like we said earlier, everything being energy, mm-hmm. and 
you think of the sun being mm-hmm. like a teeny tiny, I mean, a gigantic orb, right? Just mm-hmm. this ball mm-hmm. of fiery energy. And so why not? Why not have these minuscule little balls of energy that are visible? And you need your flash on to t- get a picture of them? Absolutely. Turn your flash from auto to on. Yeah. Go outside at night at dark, when it's dark because it's easier to get the contrast. Please do not shoot into a light source, not the sun or the moon or landscape lighting or indoor lighting, because it can create lens flare. And begin to practice. My website has a lot of information on it. Um, and uh, there's a, a bit more information in my new book that's coming up, but, but quite a bit of it's on the Internet at the moment. Um, Hey, skeptic, skeptic it, Sandra has a question, though. Yes, Skeptic Sandra. Skeptic Sandra. Because, <laughs> yes. you know, my subtitle is a skeptic I'm a, hey, I'm a discovery skeptic of life. Of People <laughs> say, because I've heard them say it, that orbs are just a reflection off of dust. Well, they absolutely can be. And sometimes it's difficult to, di- to uh, distinguish between the two. But it, orbs... Um, Dust really needs to be within a few inches of the camera to reflect that, the reflective flash and to be captured. We have orb photographs 15 feet away behind, partially hidden behind an object. We have orbs with human faces inside that have been identified as loved ones. So it takes a little bit of a discerning eye. I've given some more information on the, on the website about that. Too. Oh, Virginia, so, this has oh, been awesome. What, you going to you know, say something else? I have else? just one second. Sure, what, I just sure, one sure. I'm not going to cut you off. No way. Is, no, no, no. But what is really important is in my research on this topic, there are quite a number of near-death experiencers who describe themselves crashing back into their body as a brilliant ball of light or leaving their body as a brilliant ball of light or even a spark of light, and most notably is Evan Alexander and Proof of Heaven. There was a brilliant ball of light, this orb, that acted as an interpreter between he and God during his near-death experience, but this orb was also the woman on the butterfly wing in his near-death experience. They were one and the same, and it wasn't until he was uh, four months after he had awakened from his coma that his birth family sent him a picture of his youngest birth sister, someone who he had never met and who had died 10 years earlier. And she was the woman on the butterfly wing who was also the orb in his near-death experience. Oh, that is so cool. So there's just a lot of good, cool stuff going on out there, and it's just my pleasure to share it with you. Oh, I want to tell you one more story because that just reminded me of something. And you know, it's my show. We can go another minute. It doesn't okay. matter. Because this is, this, all this makes a difference. Once I was finally open to the fact that life after death was real, and mm-hmm. skeptic Sandra, you know, she showed up less and less. Well, I'm a skeptic first, but then I'll do something to prove otherwise. But I was sitting on a bus from the airport back to where I live, about an hour bus ride north of Boston. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting next to this woman. And... She's saying that a friend of hers passed away and she's coming back from the funeral. Well, in my head, out of the blue, I see a picture in my mind's eye of this young, handsome priest, right? It's like a black and white headshot is what I see in my mind's eye. And I'm like, and young, but good looking priest. 
So I'm thinking, that is so strange. And so I just shoved the image out of my head and I keep talking to this lady. So the more she spoke, she went down to visit father so-and-so earlier and he was the one who had passed away. Well, she pulls out a picture of the priest and it's the same exact guy that I saw in my mind's eye, although in my mind I saw him younger than he was in the picture. Oh my But God. not only the validation of the priest, but the same guy with the same wow. eyes, with pretty much the same haircut. Oh, it gave me the goosebumps. So when you say wow. Evan Alexander's example of that that really was his sister, you know, those things happen. And I really think like we had spoken about earlier, to raise our energy. And even one of the things that I like people to do, myself included, is to try to quiet that busy mind and get into a state. It may not be the same as when between 2 and 5 a.m., but when you can mm -hmm. quiet your mind, I think there's more of a chance that you can, um, you know, feel your son in the car next to you or I can feel Grammy's fingernails or whatever these things mm -hmm. are or that I saw the priest in my mind. But it, it takes something, and it takes a little work on our part, but it's possible. It it does. Oh, my gosh, I've so enjoyed our chat. Me, too. <laughs> and now I have a new friend. Thank you so much, Virginia. <laughs> You're so very welcome. Oh, my gosh. You, it, just, you just raised my vibration. Well, <laughs> I'm just, like, ready to bounce off the walls and run around the house now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I can be honest and selfishly speaking, um, I, I need a reminder, too, that this is all real, and mm -hmm. and there's no better way for me than to interview people that have had great stories, and it, it helps get you out in the world, it helps introduce you to people, it helps me introduce myself to you, and, you know, everybody gets some inspiration out of it, and um, not only that, like, I intend for our listener to really enjoy it for you to really enjoy it and for me as well so mm -hmm. we all feel good and and let's be on the lookout for a miracle today how about that wouldn't that be well, fun that would be wonderful and god bless you i mean oh my gosh what a great show you have and i'm just so thankful and grateful that you thought of me and and i'm just was so happy to be here and, and be helpful today. Oh, me, yeah, me too. Ditto to everything. And we'll definitely stay in touch. So okay. thanks to our listener for spending your time with us today because there's other things you probably could be doing like your dishes or paperwork or something, but you chose to spend this hour with Virginia Hummel and I. And Virginia's website is, well, theorbwhisperer.com. It's also virginiahummel.com. And then I have a website, wedontdieradio.com, where I have a picture of Virginia and I have the links to her website and how you can find out more about her. So in closing, I've been your host today. My name is Sandra Champlain. I believe with all my heart that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So whatever that pain it might be that you're feeling today, if we can use some of Virginia's advice and maybe step out of it and look for the gift that may be there for us. That's all I have to say. So thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.